International Paralympic Committee President Philip Craven says communication must improve with future organizers of the Paralympic Games. Thanks for joining us on this edition of ATR Radio. I'm Kevin Nutley, bringing you an update on the IPC President's thoughts about the Rio 2016 Games. Craven says that of all the Paralympics he has led since becoming President in 2001, he is most proud of Rio 2016, despite the difficulties that preceded the Games. Around the Rings Rio de Janeiro Bureau Chief Aaron Bauer spoke with Craven on the morning of Paracanoe's debut at the Paralympics. Craven describes the challenges that organizers faced in hosting this edition of the Games and what can be done to improve the Paralympics in the future. Is it fair to say that these Games have exceeded your expectations? Maybe my have exceeded my concerns of eight weeks ago when uh, there was real danger uh, that these games would, maybe they, they would take place, but they would not be of the standard that we've been used to when we look back to, uh, to Sydney, to Athens, to Beijing and to London. But, um, you know, during the, the Olympic Games, once we started to get some information from the organizing committee, that was the big problem. They didn't communicate with us and, uh, and they didn't tell us of the problem soon enough. And that's why the tension was on. That's why I passed out uh, on the plane before it took off going back to Paris at the end of the Olympic Games because I'd only slept three on average three hours uh, each of those 22 nights that I was here. I hadn't had anything to eat on that final day for 19 hours and, uh, and that's not right. So when we get to the, the Rio debrief in Tokyo at the end of uh, end of November, there's going to be some real straight talking and straight shooting. That This can never be and it will not be allowed to happen again. What was the biggest piece of information that was withheld? The, the financial difficulties of the organizing committee. I mean those financial difficulties, because of my contacts with the IOC as an IOC member, they were apparent for the Olympic Games. Let's not kid ourselves. And I think the IOC did a great job in, um, if I may say it, you may not be happy with the words, but in infilling the problem and taking over in certain areas uh, problems that maybe the organizing committee should have resolved. We don't have those resources and therefore we had to find other ways and find, in a way, new money and new partners. Great, now that segues into my second question, so I'll make it a two-parter now. What changes will be made to both the IOC and the IPC to prevent this kind of information from being withheld. And after Rio, what's next for the Paralympic movement? I'm not so sure that changes need to take place. Uh, I think just that when the, I, when the IOC members and one IOC member that's the president of the Paralympic Games uh, come around to vote, I think it's up to the members to have a wider brief and a wider knowledge about really what makes a bidding city tick and with which cities we can have maybe more confidence than others. That doesn't mean we can't have confidence with all bidding cities, by the way. But I think, I think and, and maybe you will say, well, that's not very easy to achieve, but the things that need to be achieved are not always very easy. And uh, well, this cannot happen again. That doesn't mean that I'm not happy to be in Rio with the Games. Please don't think that, that I'm saying, oh, we shouldn't have come to Rio. 
We have to go all over the world with the games. We have to go to different cultures and we have to manage those cultures. But please, wherever the games take place, the organising committee has to communicate. The IPC for the Paralympics, the IOC for the Olympics are the best partner of the organising committee. So talk to us and we'll help you fix it way before it gets too serious. I think that's all I'm saying. Now, for the and I've, I've forgotten your second part. Yeah, what's next after Rio for the Paralympic movement in general? Well, <clears throat> that's a very broad question. I mean, of course, we can look to the next three games, which are all in East Asia, you know. And uh, So we're in Latin America. We've had the Pan American Games in, uh, in Toronto in 2015. Here we are now in 2016. In 2017, the South American youth para games will take place in Sao Paulo. So there's a great deal of emphasis on Latin America, which is great. And that will continue. We've had a major uh, contribution to our foundation from the Inter-American Bank, which I think you're aware of, which which will now fund some of the great legacy that will come from these games. But then we sort of get in a plane, and it's a long journey from Europe, <laughs> but we fly, we fly to East Asia all the time. But, you know, we've not got to forget Africa in the middle than Europe. And so what I'm coming round to is saying we've got such an assurance of great games to come. Fantastic. We've got to continue to develop our other uh, sporting areas, such as world championships and regional championships in the sports, and then multi-sport events as well, which we already have and already take place, like the, the Para-Asian Games, uh, the Para-Pan-American Games. And, and to support those uh, organisations that own those own those games, and then we have to really uh, promote our foundation, which is the centre of our development and uh, helping nations, national Paralympic committees, have find ways of finding new athletes. We've seen so many great young athletes, some of which are all to do with our foundation. So it's just full on to the future. And I'm just so excited about it all. You mentioned Europe and Africa in the middle there. Well, in the middle well, only no, no, of no, this no, plane no, journey. No, no, no. I, I know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. Neither of those two continents have a multi-sport Paralympic Games. Right. Is that the future? Um, well, is it right? If we no, but if we if we look to Europe, then traditionally from the Paralympic movement, it's been youth games that have been the emphasis. And I would love that to continue. Um, I don't think the Paralympic movement is ready, for example, for a youth Paralympic games, you know, as yeah. with the Olympics. I think that our investment has to be slightly more local. But when you talk about Africa, there are places that are local in Africa, but communication is very difficult now. We have a, already we have a, a multi-sport uh, um, uh, content within the All-Africa Games and that's something where we need to, ourselves, we need to support the African Paralympic Committee in developing that more, but it's already there. But really growth in Africa has to be on a relatively local regional basis. For example, the Great Lakes area in the Rift Valley, that's where we're working with, we've got some games there. And that's where you develop it with 
between neighboring nations because the, the transport's so difficult to, to go Pan-Africa, for example. You've got to start locally and build from there. And, uh, and so that's what's so exciting for me. Uh, big, big games which involve great costs uh, uh, for competing nations and where we don't have the facility that we have here finally of, uh, of, of uh, support grounds then it's not easy so I, I, we, are, we are all about developing things locally and particularly getting governments involved and seeing the benefits and seeing this as a new approach into the future. Now shifting away from local games back to a big one what can we expect from Tokyo 2020 to learn from Rio 2016 and to showcase in four years? They're here right now. Well, one of the first things is to, is to have a better air conditioning system in the buildings than, we, than, than we've had here. And, and again, it sounds like I'm knocking Rio, I'm not. But obviously we've got red hot for us, particularly from the north of England, red hot weather here the last two days. Uh, so therefore you do need air conditioning, but you don't want to feel as if you're in a, a force-eight gale blowing freezing air at you. And, uh, and so we know that in Tokyo uh, there'll be, it's very humid in summer, and that's something that I want addressing. Because I was speaking to Thomas Barton today and he said, you know, because I told him, my, I think my voice failed sometime during that conversation. He said, you know, there were a good number of IOC staff that caught this sort of cough uh, type, all to do with the air conditioning, and that's continued with some of them, and the, you know, they've been back in Switzerland now for say, for say, three weeks, and, and so that's one minor point, that, but major, and, uh, and uh, but then how can we learn from here, well, uh, we've all, I've already talked about lack of communication, that's something that has, has to happen, the other thing with the Japanese, if I may say, is that they are great at swallowing rule books been able to regurgitate them better than, for example, the people who are responsible even for those rule books within a sport. But then we have to support them so that then they move from knowledge to action. And I think that's something that I will be emphasizing, and it will again not be a criticism, but we're there as the IPC and our sports, and there are NPCs to support them in that, in that action. Now, final question. We've seen the Paralympic Games grown exponentially over the past 10 years. Do you ever foresee a Paralympics coming before an Olympics? No. Or a Paralympics shifting away from the Olympics and being staged independently? No. Uh, we have a great partnership with the IOC. Uh, if the Paralympic Games had become before the Olympic Games, I'm pretty certain they wouldn't have happened here. And, uh, and we've we really do appreciate what the IOC does with regard to, firstly, and I have to use the word, uh, many moons ago, back in 2000, 2001, you know, allowing this partnership to start and then for it to grow. And it wasn't a partnership to begin with, we had a cooperation agreement. And, uh, but I don't mean by that it was us and them, but it's grown, and it's grown until we signed our first partnership agreement in London in 20. 2012, but never would we accept that we need a change. And neither would the IOC. The IOC are very happy that the Olympics are first, and we're, you might say second, please don't think that's the silver medal, but it makes this, it makes this festival of sport that absolutely takes over a nation, and particularly a city, 
as soon as the Olympic torch arrives, the Olympic flame, normally maybe four months before they started the Paralympic Games, then we have the build-up to the Olympics, then we have the Paralympic torch between the Games, and it's just wonderful. That, that's what impressed me about London, you know. The weather, normally the weather's beautiful in Britain, you do know that, but uh, the weather was terrible from May 2012 through to probably the start of the Olympic Games, but the people came out in there, tens of thousands for the torch, and, uh, and here has been the same, and you've seen the effect of the carryover. Once they knew the Paralympic tickets were available, there was no promotion of the Paralympic tickets before the end of the Olympics, and that's another criticism I have. But look what happened once they knew about it. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak pleasure. to me. Pleasure. Really appreciate and it. And it's been a real pleasure. That was IPC President Philip Craven on his vision for the future of the Paralympic movement and what can be done to avoid the challenges the Rio 2016 organizers faced. Thanks for joining us on this edition of ATR Radio. I'm Kevin Nutley. Have a good one.